So uh, uh, satisfaction, that's the series that we're starting off today. Um, seems to be a little bit elusive, right? Um, seems to be a theme. That song, believe it or not, um, I don't want to, I mean, date anybody make you feel like you're really old, but that's 50 years old, that song. It's a little bit, well, a little bit older. No, this year it turns 50. It was written in 1965. Um, 50 years later, here's staying power, right? 50 years later, in 2004, Rolling Stone magazine put together the 500 greatest hits of all time, and that was number two. Um, I, Bob Dylan's got a, the number one song, and I can't remember what it is because who cares. Anyway, um, but Satisfaction was the number two song. So in 2010, they came back and re, they revised that because, you know, such great music was written between 2004 and 2010, whatever. And it's still number two. Fifty years later, still number two. Second, second all-time greatest song ever written. And it's amazing how we relate to that, isn't it? How we, we, we got, I, I'm frustrated. That's, that talks about frustration with commercialism. Um, advertising, saying you need more and more. It talks about frustration in relationships, um, specifically sex, which I can't say, but, well, I just did because we talked about it all last month. Um, there's this, this angst sometimes among people, isn't there? Like, I just can't get any satisfaction because no satisfaction is bad grammar. So we can't really do that, right? Here's, here's the sad thing. Here's, how it, here's what matters to us in the church. Now, I'm not assuming because you're in the church you're in the church, okay? So let me just make sure I clarify that. A lot of people go to church, they're not Christians. Um, sometimes that might make them feel out of place. We like to think you could feel at home here because we love people to come to church that aren't Christians because this is one of the venues that we have to share with you the faith that we have in Christ. A lot of people go to church and, and they can't get no satisfaction anywhere. They, it's, it's, I wrote this yesterday thinking about this. The God who sent Jesus to give us peace now has a church full of people living lives that are in pieces. Like, maybe not broken relationships pieces, but could you at least agree that we're fragmented? Like, our lives are all over the map. Like, we have no rest. Half of Americans, half of Americans say they've had a major stressful event in the past year, 26% in the last month. I mean, don't raise your hand and say amen, but how many of you can relate more to stress than you can to rest? Like rest, what is that? Stress? Oh, dude, I got, I got a Ph.D. in stress, right? I know what that is. I don't know what rest is. One out of every four Americans you meet will have had a major stressful event in the, the month prior. What are, what are those events? Poor health, poor finances? Absolutely. 65% of people ages 18 to 29. Now, you're either in that group or people wish they were in that group, right? But if you're 18 to 29, 65% say they're stressed because they have too many responsibilities. And I can give you more stats, but while we're, we're starting to series on satisfaction, let me just say this. Maybe the easiest test, the easiest test to measure your stress level may be how you respond to the idea that God wants you to rest. Because if you're really stressed, what you're thinking is, great, one more thing i got to figure out how to do, right? Steve, the idea of rest can be super stressful. So obviously we don't want you to respond that way. We want this month scripturally to show you that there's some truth. So we're going to take this satisfaction. We're going to take some facts. You, you heard these, these four women at, at the beginning of the service just open up this entire service reading you scripture. I mean, that stuff's just based on scripture, just facts in the Bible that, that should, as we learn them, I don't mean should like you should feel bad if it doesn't happen, but I'm just letting you know the expected norm of what God expects to happen when we read his word, when we know what he's done for us, is that we kind of go, Ah, <sighs> good to know that. 
right? So what are some facts? What are some things that, that we can know scripturally that we believe when we embrace those can help us find rest and satisfaction? And so this morning, we're going to start like foundationally um, in John chapter 19, verse 30. John chapter 19, verse 30. Now, there's going to be tons of scriptures. I'll give you the references. I'll read the ones that, that, we, that I can. Um, if you're a note taker, you have a little bit of space to take notes. You're going to run, write small, okay? I think there's a lot you're going to want to write down today. Um, John chapter 19, verse 30. This is where we're going to start. This is the first fact that I want to make sure that we get. John 19, 30. Jesus is on the cross. He's almost done on the cross. And here's what the Bible says. We'll start in verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, so Jesus knows that everything's been completed, and he says, I'm, I'm thirsty. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on its stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. I'm just, like, side note, it doesn't say, say here, but in, and I think it's in Mark and one of the other Gospels. It, it also talks about this and how Jesus did not take anything. Like, they lifted it up to him, but he didn't take it, okay? Um, that's important because in this hyssop was a mixture of stuff. Like, kind of like if somebody today said, I'm so miserable, I just want to get drunk. Like, it was, it was to dull the pain, and Jesus, I love that he... He died for us, fully aware of what was happening. That's really, that's really important. So they lifted it up to his lips. He didn't take it. And then here's, the, here's our key verse, verse 30. When he had received the drink, when they had done all that, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want to talk to you about what, what it is finished means, okay? Um, this is, in, it's three words for us. In the Greek, it's, um, it's one word. Let me just ask you this without raising your hands, or, and definitely don't point to somebody next to you. How many of you are procrastinators? How many of you are married to a procrastinator? Like you just turned to him and said, you should have put your hand up that time, right? <laughs> it drives you crazy. Um, I, I, found, I found at least one procrastinator, I love this, um, procrastinators who try to help non-procrastinators understand the procrastinator's mind. So they put a, a flow chart together just to kind of understand procrastination, their, their mindset. <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the flow chart. That's, that's kind of the mental process that procrastinators go through, right? Do it now? No. And then they're done. So um, whether we like it or not, procrastination is here to stay or eventually it will be here to stay, right? Um, I love uh, this biblical from Lowe's. This company is trying to, they're um, capitalizing on all the procrastinators. What a great, ingenious billboard. I love that. Maybe, maybe you procrastinate, maybe you don't. The point right now and the main foundational fact of satisfaction that we've got to get this morning is simply this, Jesus didn't. Jesus was not a procrastinator. He finished. He was a finisher. I, I am routinely a first chapter of the book reader. So I have tons of books I've read the first chapter of. They're great first chapters. Finishing that book, man, sometimes that's the deal, isn't it? Finishing a project. So here in, in this verse we find Jesus says, it is finished. So from the cross, at the pinnacle moment of his mission, he said one word. This is one Greek word, and the word is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Um, let me just spell it for you. If you're taking notes, it's T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I. Tetelestai. And it means it is finished. But here's the really important thing. We're we'll doing a little, a little grammar. Um, how many grammar teachers or lovers do we have in the house? Be proud. Yeah, the grammar Nazis. That's exactly right. Did, did I say that correctly? <laughs> See what I did there? Correctly. 
So let's do a little grammar, okay? In, in, this, in this verse, 19 verse 30, tetelestai, it's, it's written in the, in the Greek in the perfect passive indicative. Perfect passive indicative. I don't expect you to remember all those words, but let me explain to you what that means. Because in the Greek, the way a word is written means everything, okay? So the, the perfect passive indicative. Let's talk about the perfect. So perfect is the action, right? And so what it means when, it, when a verb, when it was written in the perfect, it meant this, that it was completed once, but the result lasts forever. That's worth coming to church for right there, okay? Jesus said it's finished now, and the results, the impact of what I just did will last forever. That's because it's in the perfect. The passive means that the subject of the sentence is being acted upon, which is also critical, isn't it? Because we didn't do the work. We benefit from it, but Jesus did the work for us. And then that last one, indicative, is a statement of fact in the Greek language from the writer's perspective. In other words, no doubt about it. Perfect, passive, indicative. This is a monumental fact. It's not an opinion. It's not an assumption. It's a fact. It is finished. Now get this. Not it might be finished. Not it's kind of finished. But it is finished, and it is finished so emphatically that it echoes for all eternity. The last word Jesus spoke in this verse laid it to rest. It's finished. Tedaleste. So if it's finished, that's good, but what? What is finished? Um, Let me just give you some things that Jesus did. Uh, We'll throw some verses up here. You can jot them down. Matthew 5, 17. Matthew 5, 17, one of the things that Jesus did is he, he perfectly fulfilled the law of God and the prophecies about the Messiah. Do, you, do not think I have not, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I, I love this, um, this picture. You know, there's, over 60, there's over 60 messianic prophecies. So if you read back through the Old Testament, you'll find at least 60 times that somebody um, said, God said through them a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Now just, just hang with me for a second. Put your math hat on, okay? So the, the probability that one man would actually fulfill all 60 of those, and then, like, if you really study this, you'll find that there's, there's 60 prophecies, but they all have different variations as well, and so it actually ends up being, like, in the 450 range. The probability that one man could fulfill all of those prophecies is so staggering that nobody can really figure it out. Like they try to give you like these examples of electrons, and if you count them off for so many years, you'll be counting for 1,900-some-odd years. It's crazy. So what they start doing is going, well, we can't even figure out the probability that one person will fulfill all, those, all 60, but what about eight? What's the probability that one man could walk the planet and just fulfill eight of the 60 prophecies? And here's the probability. One with 17 zeros. I don't know what that, what that number would be. One with 17 zeros. So somebody said, well, that would be like this. It would be like taking a silver dollar. Get a bunch of silver dollars together, one followed by 17 silver dollars. And if you took those silver dollars, that amount of silver dollars, and you laid them flat on the ground in Texas, that would be enough silver dollars to fill the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Are you with me? It's a lot of quarters. I mean, silver dollars. So, and that's just eight prophecies, okay? That's just one man fulfilling eight prophecies. So you're two feet deep in silver dollars in Texas. And then you take one of those one of those silver dollars, you pick it up and you put a big red X on it and you throw it back into the mix. You get a huge giant mixing stick. You'd have to have a huge one. And you mix up the whole state 
of silver dollars. The entire state of Texas, it takes hours to drive from one end to the other. You mix all of those up together, and then you put one man or one woman in Dallas, you blindfold them, and you say, go anywhere you want within the state of Texas, north, south, east, west, go anywhere you want, and at any time you want, bend down and pick up one silver dollar. The chances that he or she would bend down on their first try and pick up that silver dollar with that red X is the same probability that one man could fulfill eight. Jesus fulfilled 60. It is finished. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He was not just a man. He was not just a good teacher. He was the Messiah sent from God who hung on a cross, and the only man who could have said it is finished said it is finished. Tetelestai means this. It means that all the work that needed to be done that we, couldn't be, that we couldn't do has been done by Jesus, the only one who could have done it. He fulfilled perfectly the law and the prophets. John 12, 46, John 14, 6 says that Jesus came, he put those together as light to save men, to show them the way out of darkness. I love John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not a way, I'm the way. People have a hard time with that. And I would say this, the minute that you can fulfill just eight of those prophecies, we can talk about maybe we're wrong about Jesus, but there's no way. He's perfectly fulfilled the prophecies. He came as light to show men the way out of darkness. Romans 5, 6 to 11. Let me read that one to you. Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 to 11. If you're not familiar with where that is, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 to 11. It says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus came to reconcile us back to God by his death and his resurrection. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. A couple, of verse, a couple of books over to the right. Colossians chapter 2. General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. How did God forgive us of our sins? He was just in a good mood, right? No, like here, he tells them how. Verse 14, Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, And that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Depending on what translation you have, in verse 14 when it says, having canceled the written code, you may have this, having abolished the debt. Because Ted Leste, believe it or not, you go back and look at geographic, archaeological finds, they find these like legal documents from that time, that day, that period, they have actually found written on, on bills, they have writ, seen Ted Leste written. Because it is finished, it means, man, your debt is paid in full. When, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Ted Leste, he, it's done. I've paid your debt. Your sin 
Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus said, I paid that. I paid it. You don't have to try to earn salvation anymore. You don't have to try to be good so that you can get somewhere. You can rest in what I've done. Tedeleste, it's finished. I love how Matthew Henry sums up Tedeleste. Uh, Matthew Henry, um, it's a very common name, but like this is an uncommon man who wrote a commentary that's like extremely thick, brilliant man, Presbyterian minister. And here's how he wrote it. He said, it is finished. That is, the work of man's redemption and salvation is now completed. At least the hardest part of the undertaking is over. A full satisfaction is made to the justice of God, a fatal blow given to the power of Satan, a fountain of grace opened that shall ever flow, a foundation of peace and happiness laid that shall never fail. This is so critical that we grab hold of what Ted Leste means. When I was working at the YMCA in Columbia, South Carolina, I was wearing this T-shirt because, you know, some, it was really cool for a while to wear Christian T-shirts, right? So I had this T-shirt, and it had the profile of Jesus, and he had the cross, the thorn of crowns on his head. And it was just like you just saw, like, this, his, the side of his face, his profile, and the blood's coming down. And he's, like, screaming in agony. And, and underneath it said, it is finished. And it was like, yeah, it's my way of witnessing, right? He's going to walk around like, check it out, right? Check it out. And I'm in the locker room, and there's this elderly gentleman, he's probably like 70 years old, comes walking over to me, and he said, sir, what, is that, what does that mean? I'm in Columbia, South Carolina, right? What does that mean? It's probably, I don't know, it's got to be like 15 years ago. And, and it kind of caught me by surprise, like, what, what do you mean, what does it mean? <laughs> he's like, I mean, what does it mean? The word, it is, what is, it is finished me. And I just... I said, well, this, this is Jesus. Like, like he, he spoke these words from the cross. Like it talks about how he has paid for our sin. And he wants everyone everywhere to know that we don't have to try to earn salvation. It's finished. It, it's paid in full. And he saved me. If, if you never heard, he, and here's what he said, blew my mind. He goes, I'm a leader in our Presbyterian church. I've been there for 60 years. I've never heard those words. Now, it doesn't mean that his, you know, I'm not, Presbyterians aren't bad. It's just that he could have said, I'm in the God church. I mean, it, the fact that he was, he'd been in a church and had never heard those words blew my mind. Can you imagine trying to live a Christian life for God without ever knowing what he did for you? How many Christians are trying still to earn something from God that you can't earn because he's already given it? We're so full of this angst and stress and pressure. I'm just not good enough. That's the point. The point is that there was a debt you could not pay, and, and he paid it. Ted Leste, it's finished. So, so now what? Here's, here's a tough question to answer, right? It's finished, and if it is finished, then, then why do we still do stuff? And, and here's the answer. Jesus did what only he could so that we can do what he's told us to do. Uh, let me... Put it another way. I'll use big preacher words. You ready? You'll love this. The payment for sin is finished, but the proclamation of it is not. The payment of sin is finished, but the proclamation of it is not. So Jesus did the work that only he could do. He paid for the work. He paid for our sins. That's only, only he could do that. So Jesus left. He gave us his spirit, and he gave us one job. Can anybody think back over the summer, what is the one thing that we're supposed to do? Make disciples, right? We're supposed to go low. Go 
and lo, I'll be with you always. Go outrageously love others. Go spread the gospel. Go and wherever you go, make disciples. It's the only thing we're supposed to do. He didn't say gather in groups and sing songs. I mean, we do that. It's not bad. Paul talked about it in the New Testament. He didn't say memorize all the scriptures. We do that too. It's not bad. He said go and make disciples. It's the one thing we're supposed to do. His work is done. Our work is just beginning. Admittedly, we have messed this up for years, right? Um, people trying to figure out, what's like, if he did the work, do I do anything? And if I'm doing stuff, am I trying to earn my salvation? And we have like just jacked this up. And I, I'm not going to try to answer that and solve it all for you in one morning. It's not going to work. You might, I mean, you're going to have to wrestle through that too, probably. But I can tell you right now, this hammock for me is the perfect illustration of what it means that Jesus is finished with his work. And, and here's, here's why. This hammock is what Jesus did for us on the cross. This hammock is the part that is summed up in the word tetaleste. This hammock is what we put our trust in. So we had no way to rest. And Jesus came in and said, I'll hang on a cross. I'll, I'll give you a bridge. I'll fill the gap. I'll pay the debt you can't pay. And when I'm done with that, I just want you to rest in it. I want you just to kick back and just rest. I want you to really chill in what I've done. It could be, tr I'm trustworthy. You won't fall. I don't think. <laughs> You're good, right? So I was thinking about this, this resting thing, right? Like, when, when does resting turn into lazy? You ever wondered that? Boy, it's hard to see all over there now. And here's the key. The difference between rest and lazy is the condition of the yard. Let me make sure you got that because some of you are expecting something really brilliant. I got to get out of this Eno. If you come to my house and you pull up in my driveway and you park your car and I'm in a hammock and my grass is this tall, first thing you think is, that's the laziest son of a gun I've ever seen in my life. Right? But if you come to my house, park your car in my driveway, get out and you see me in a hammock and my yard is cut, the, water, the flowers are watered and it's edged and everything is perfect, you know what you think? Boy, has been working hard. He's taking a break. Jesus did his work. We rest in that work. But he's also given us something to do. And when we rest in his work, we're ready to do the rest of ours. That's your big idea today. I just want you to write that down. When we rest in his work, we'll be ready to do the rest of ours. Some people are working for God because they're trying to get salvation. And he's like, dude, I've already hung the hammock, man. Just chill. But if we become a church, if we become believers, and all we do is just hang out in the hammock, let me tell you, the grass is growing around us. John 4, 35, <clears throat> Jesus said this, look to the harvest. The fields are ripe for harvest. And here's what he's saying, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. I don't want you to go do it in your own strength. 
I want you to rest in me. Rest for your work. And sometimes rest from your work. But don't ever think it, the cross means that you can just chill out in me and never tell anybody about it. He's given us something to do. That's the difference between rest and laziness. Sometimes we hear satisfaction and we go, ah, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I don't have time for that. To rest in Christ, everybody's got time for that. To rest in Christ so that we have what we need to go and share with others what he's already done for us, huge. Look, I could drill that down even more. Go to a community group. Go to a community group. I mean, just flip your note sheet over. There's like a bazillion verses on the back of your note sheet that you're going to drill down through this week in community group. About all the things that, that being in this hammock means that those things are yours. What it means to be in Christ. You'll see that phrase all the time in the New, in the New Testament. And whenever you see in Christ, when you're reading the Bible, you see in Christ, that's what you think, in a hammock. Oh, in Christ, I'm in the hammock. I'm in the hammock that he alone could put up for me. I'm in the hammock because he did the work to get that thing hung so that I have a way to rest. And because I'm in Christ, I have all these things that then enable me to jump out every now and then, go do some work, go tell people, hey, there's a hammock for you too. Jesus wants you to rest as well. We rest in his work so we'll be ready to do the rest of ours. So the real question is, how do we keep this fact at the forefront of our soul? How do we ensure that we don't slip back into this frantic faith that tries to finish for ourselves what Jesus has already finished for us? I won't read it to you now, but you can read in Galatians. I think it's in the second chapter. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What a great, like when a verse starts with who has bewitched you, not good, right? It's like you started so well. You started in grace, and now like somehow you're trying to earn what you've been given, how do we keep that from happening to us? Like, we'll walk out here today and we'll get in the car and go, like, that hammock thing, that was cool. And I can win it. How awesome is that? I get it. Like, I'm, I'm resting in Christ. I'm resting in a hammock. I, but then, like, Wednesday rolls around. And you go through the whole day Wednesday. Never once talk to Jesus. Never plot your Bible. Never read anything. Never pray. You get in your bed that night. You just overcome with condemnation. I'm a bad Christian. How do we on that day remember that there's a hammock that we can rest in? Even when we repent for what we've failed in, that we rest in this hammock. And here's how you do that. It's simple. We remind ourselves of what Jesus has already done. We remind ourselves that the foundation of a satisfied life is his completed work on the cross for our salvation. When you came in this morning and those four ladies shared, everything that they shared, we're giving you today. When you walk out of here this morning, our, our greeters will be at the door and they're going to hand you a, a card that just says daily decorations. Declarations get a bad name, don't they? Because we've seen it so jacked up. Like, hey, say this every day. I deserve a car. I deserve a car. I deserve a car. Poof, you'll have a car. No, you won't. Because that's all based on what we deserve and who we are and how good we are. But you're going to be given a card that has eight daily decorations that are all about what Jesus has already done for you and for me. How do we keep ourselves, how do we stay in that hammock? How do we not lose sight of the fact that he's already done the work? 
we remind ourselves of what he's already done. You take these facts with you. You take these eight facts and you, you read them. Put them on your fridge. Put them where you'll see them the most. Put them next to the toilet paper. Wherever you'll see them the most. On the TV, right? On the steering wheel, <laughs> wherever. On the, on the windshield. And remember them. Say them. Study the scriptures that go with them. Learn what Jesus has done for me. Eight facts that are strong enough to hold your faith. Um, a, a hammock. We can talk about a hammock all day long. If we don't actually get in it, we don't have any faith in it. We're in the hammock because we're in Christ. He has finished the work of preparing it for us. And now we can rest in his work because it's finished. Teteleste. Teteleste. It is finished.